All right. Hey, y'all. It is grab your wallet time. Uh, we've been having fun doing this show. We love you guys for supporting us. Those of you that don't support us, patreon.com is where you go give us the money to get us to these people or beers to these people so we can interview them. And John's got some t-shirts. So that's on stealthisbeer.com slash merch. Check that out. Either way, thanks for playing along. Can't believe we get away with this every week, Monday at five. about beer over beer by a couple of guys that think about beer way too much. All right. Hey, y'all. It's five o'clock on Monday and we are stealing beer. I am Augie Carton. Hey, Augie Carton. I'm John Hall. Hey, John Hall. How the hell are you? I, uh, before we get into it, I just want to say congratulations. Uh, I understand that you have a brewery, which you should really probably small talk brewery, about. Small you should talk about it more Jersey. often on the show, um, especially because you're 10 years old now. So congratulations on that. That's a that's a huge accomplishment. And it's uh, it's fun to drink your beer. And here's to 10 more. Oh, we dropped a dime on them. Um, speaking of drop the dime on them. Uh-huh. Dun, dun, dun. Part two previously on steal this beer is back. Um, Currently thieves at home listening. We are without Cass and without Justin. Um, But this is the, the time we could carve out Monday at five. This week is Friday at two 30. This is the time we could carve out where we could get together. It's the time when John and I would start off most sober to try to keep what was a good conversation rolling. Uh Yeah. Um, Dave was gracious enough to rejoin us. And since last time this conversation just picked up ahead of steam and ran away from us, I'm just going to check the important facts now. Dave, do you have beers this time? Did Justin manage to get them to you? No beers. Okay. So I think it'll be much the same as last time. And I think I always get suspicious, John, when Justin sends that email half an hour before we record that somehow he's not able to make it in this time that what he's really telling me is the guest didn't get beer. Um, he can't take, he right, can't, he can't take the take abuse one anymore. More, one yeah. more, just in 2021. Just sitting, <laughs> sitting in the corner of his apartment, yeah. just rocking back and forth saying, not again. Not he again. could, he could totally be involved. My name in this is Justin, not Christian. <laughs> yeah. He, he could totally be involved in this conversation, but doesn't want to hear me going Justin. Yeah. Um, or Christian, whatever okay. I call him this week. I think, anyway. I think, I think Dave was supposed to have beers and, the USPS uh, took their time or are somewhere in a back alley enjoying uh, what is probably going to be a Pilsner followed by. <laughs> yes. Pilsner, Pilsner followed by no, followed by an old West coast IPA followed by another Pilsner followed by a barley wine. Yeah. It's, possible, um, it's possible that my steal this beer beers got stolen. Oh my God. That would be ironic. Don't you think? Um, Anyway, but so, Dave, you will get to play the most interesting game Justin Kennedy has created, where you'll hear the two of us talk about the beers briefly so that we can keep the conversation rolling since you won't be able to play. And then tomorrow, taste the beers and be like, oh, my God, they were totally wrong. Um, So that's a fun game people like to play at home. Anyway, all right, so let's jump into it. When we left off, we had a head of steam and we're talking about we were talking about a lot of things, but the focus of the conversation or where the most interesting conversation was happening was brew dogs, equity for punks funding scheme as it was rolling out in America in the post Dodd-Frank, every man should be allowed to play the market, accredited investors only rules are over. It seems some advantage was being taken taken in that situation where these $60 useless shares that were almost guaranteed by design of this issuance were being sold to Americans while a different structure was being sold to Europeans, while yet a different preferred structure was sold to an investment group. Um, the side conversations that were picking up steam, we may need to come back to 
was there was also some tax slash profit sheltering of real estate going on with at least one of, if not two of the primary brood dogs, uh, puppies, if you will. Um, and then, and then just all the facts of what was going on. We also asked Dave, if, if at any point you want to lean into this, we also asked the thieves to jump on Facebook and tell us if any of them were equity punks. And at least one came in and said, I bought a share of this and wrote us a kind of nice, concise, three, concise 350 words on it, um, which I'm happy to jump over to Facebook and read to you. But it basically says that he thought he was in a t-shirt scheme, not a funding scheme, but he was fooled into believing that his investment had jumped 2000 fold 45 days after it when the kind of shady valuation you were talking about in that private equity funding round went out like there was a day where he believed he'd made you know his 60 was worth 6000 so <laughs> interesting because one of the things you said is you thought people were being led to believe this and we have a listener who was like I was absolutely led to believe this anyway from there, give any more important things you think you need to say that'll build into where we picked up and let's pick up where we left off with what is going on with American brew dog shares right now. Sure. Okay. <laughs> Try to pick up the thread where we, uh, where we left off here uh, and come at it with that same energy. There was so uh, much energy, right? A lot of energy. Uh, <laughs> it was. So Dave, I, I see you've been drinking show, coffee in, in anticipation <laughs> of this, and I'm I'm feeling like it's gonna kick in any second now, and we're just gonna get you know that trademark excitement and energy from you. So at Walter Winchell. Yeah, so cadence. don't disappoint. Spewing heartburn and uh, tens of listeners right now yeah. are relying on you. Perched on the edge of their seats. Uh yeah, so uh thank you for the lead in, Augie. Um yeah. Let's see. Brewdog USA, uh, like we covered, I think, towards the end of the previous installment of, of this podcast, uh, they come to America, uh, not in the Eddie Murphy way, but in the sort of corporate way, uh, in, uh, in like 2016. So more 20 coming to America, too, you're saying. Yeah, much more coming to America, too, uh, built for streaming. Um, but, uh, yeah, they, they touched down on American Shores uh, 2017, I want to say, and they do a lead-in um, uh, equity, equity for punks crowdfunding round uh, here in the U.S., I think preceding it in, in 2016 or so. But that's when they start – around that time is when they start fundraising um, for the U.S. entity. Um, and it's important to remember – I mean, we covered this in the last episode, but it's important just to remind listeners who either scrolled through that or didn't catch that one – Brewdog uh, PLC is the parent company that's based in Scotland. It's the one that owns uh, all of the like subsidiary companies of which Brewdog USA Incorporated is one. Um, and that relationship is really important for a few reasons that we'll cover over the course of this episode. But um, yeah, they start they start issuing shares in Brewdog USA. Um, they hit up American drinkers, uh, you know, with uh, social media campaigns, with in person. Um, you know, campaigns where they're based in Columbus, Ohio, or just outside of Columbus, Ohio. Um, and they say, you know, buy into this brewery much in the same way that they've been doing um, with rank and file uh, drinkers in the UK um, and in their European pubs uh, since 2009, right? So they've already kind of got the framework for how to do this. They understand sort of how to market it. I think they probably make some tweaks for um, American audiences instead of U.S. audiences, or excuse me, instead of uh, European audiences. Um, and certainly there are different regulatory requirements for how they're allowed to advertise. But the general offering is um, more or less the same. Buy shares in this brewery, uh, you get equity and you get perks, um, you know, in the form of free beer or t-shirts or whatever the fuck. Um, so that's how you know they begin doing that here in the u.s um most recently they conduct um equity for punks uh tomorrow efp tomorrow here in the u.s they have one concurrently running uh in the uk both are called tomorrow it's very confusing uh but this is 
in theory, uh, to raise money, to raise capital for the company to expand, but to expand uh, along the trajectory of these eco-friendly green initiatives that uh, supposedly have become very near and dear to uh, co-founder James Watt's heart uh, over the course of the past, whatever, couple of years. That's been something they've been leaning very heavily on in their marketing is we're going to go carbon neutral. We're actually going to go carbon negative. We're going to buy forests. You can own a tree in the brew dog forest, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Yeah. This is classic greenwashing. Um, It doesn't, it doesn't mean that it's, it doesn't, mean that it's not true. It's possible that they are doing that. I can't say for sure whether they are or not. I haven't vetted out those claims, um, but it is by definition greenwashing, right? Inducing yep. um, inducing someone to take an action uh, to spend their money with a company based on that company's uh, environmental uh, practices or uh, uh, values, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, EFP tomorrow is the one that um, has been going on most recently, I think it might have just come to a close. But when I was reporting this piece for Vine Pair, it was still uh, it was still underway and had raised, I think, close to six hundred thousand uh, dollars. And that's at sixty dollars sixty dollars a share. Um, and then similar to the the way the EFP program has always worked, there are different tiers, right? So the more you spend, the more perks you get, and uh, the more obviously shares that you wind up. So. Uh, Possessing. So can so in this situation, can you get a hardwood instead of a deciduous tree yeah. in the forest? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if they like, uh, is, it, is it one I can carve my name in a heart with my wife's initials, or uh, is it just just a Christmas tree for the Christmas right tree. for the right price? I get the sense that Brewdog will sell you pretty much anything. Um, yep. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, no, I I think the uh, I think no matter what. Um, one share gets you one tree in the brew dog forest, right? Achoo. Um, and so that sounds sounds good and it sounds cool, right? And like, oh, they're they're you know, it, it's a very concise way to say it in a way that like people sort of innately can understand. But um, whether that's Did, happening, who knows? Uh, what about know, the fruit on the trees in the brew dog forest? Are you, you're looking for you like a foraging angle here? Are you yeah. For- uh, will there be any pawpaws? Uh, yeah, I think, uh, you I know, know, this sounds, this sounds more like a lemon grove to me, but that's, All right, but let's not get too sidetracked. Okay. But it, can I ask you a question here? Um, Please and do. obviously I, you've been very careful and factual about the fact that you were studying a topic and focused heavily there. So this, all these side things that come up to me don't necessarily have answers. So don't feel bad if you can't answer, but for greenwashing, it would seem to me there's got to be some trustworthy third-party auditor of these actions, right? Because anybody and everybody with a Facebook account can say we're going green. Is any part of this commitment by them, we're going green as authentic? You know what I mean? Like I, The first thing that comes to my mind is somebody like Patagonia. Like Patagonia says we're green, and Patagonia lets other people tell you that they're green by giving you evidence. Is there any even allusion to the fact that this say it's 600 grand here as i think you're saying assuming it's something like that in the uk say they're 1.2 million of other people's money i would hope some of their own to make this green effort is there anybody saying here's how your money was spent or is it just trust us we're going green yeah i mean you know i think from what I have seen in like having reviewed their materials, uh, the prospectuses that they issue, the disclosures that they issue to, to offer these crowdfunding rounds, they, they do talk about this a little bit. And, um, you know, I think there's some, um, I am not in, I'm not, I just think there should be, I just never know if there is part of my problem is somebody who wants to make these efforts is a whole bunch of people approach you with put solar on the roof. You'll be green and I can do it for you. And I'm like, Prove it to me. Show me the long-term effects of your solar versus other solar. And everybody's like, no, 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 no. That's not how it works. You buy solar and then you're green. And I'm like, eh. You know what I mean? So I just don't know the right answer. Yeah. I mean, I think you're right to be dubious. And I think everyone should be skeptical of any corporation that is saying we're going green because it's what's good for the environment, right? Um, right. We know that that's just not the way capitalism works. And uh, this is not a show where we need to just you know beat on capitalism, but that the incentives aren't aligned, right? So if they're going green, 
and they are saying they're going to go carbon negative uh, and they're actually doing it, it's because it's good for their business. And that can be a good thing. Like, you know, right. like that, that's, that's a win-win situation. What's right. That more- can be capitalism if everybody that's buying their beer cares about it. Right. Like that's that's a good enough reason. Well, sure. And if they're actually able to do it. Um, right. And that's that's where the gray area comes in. And that's not just the case for BrewDog, but it's the case for any corporation. Right. Is like supply chains and, uh, uh, you know, like, uh, for example, like carbon offsetting, which is what they're doing at the forest. Like those are notoriously um, uh, tricky quagmires for uh, corporations to navigate if they're trying to uh, reduce their emissions along those trajectories. And yet those trajectories are very important because that's where a lot of those emissions actually like get released. Um, I looked into, you know, there's also the case of, I don't think this is uh, with regards to BrewDog so much, but, you know, like also corporations tend to, um, you know, contract with non-governmental organizations that do good work, but that by their nature need money to continue to function and they need those corporate underwriters uh, to be able to continue to do their work. So in the example of course, uh, Seltzer, rest in peace, uh, <laughs> they, uh, they, they launched, they launched, yeah, taken too soon. We hardly knew ye. Uh, they launched with a save the rivers campaign. Right. And I reported on this in my newsletter fingers, um, they launched with this like big save the rivers campaign. We care about the rivers. If you care about the rivers buy core seltzer, because for every heart, every 12 pack that we sell, we're going to clean, I forget 500 gallons worth of river water, something along oh, those man. lines, some clean along those lines, which sounds good, right? You say, Oh, I'm going to buy a 12 pack and by passively consuming this shit that theoretically I wanted in the first place, although side note, no one wanted it. Bummer. Um, but you know, <laughs> the, you know, you can, you can I you like can, the saltier side of you. This this is I wasn't like, getting the editorial part last week. I like this much better. Keep so, going on seltzer. So <laughs> uh you know you can you can passively sort of just in your consumption habits uh help achieve these environmental goals you care about. So there are a couple of problems with that. One is that Mol- I highlighted this in the piece, Molson Core's uh political action community um donates uh uh, close to a few, in the last election cycle alone, I think it was like $55,000 to lawmakers with an under 50% rating um, from one of the uh, key environmental, like congressional watchdog uh, groups. So basically every vote that they take a group like that will mark down whether it's a pro environment or anti-environment vote. And then they issue scorecards for these lawmakers. Molson Coors uh, through their political action committees is donating a lot more to um, or was at least in the last cycle to uh, politicians with shitty environmental track records uh, than ones with good ones. So that's one reason to be suspicious. Another is that, and I talked to a key like corporate uh, social responsibility expert for this piece, um, is that like those numbers, like one 12 pack equals 500 gallons worth of clean river water. They're kind of designed just to like short circuit people's brains. And that was his point is like, what does that mean? Actually, like 500 gallons sounds like a lot of water. Right. But like right. rivers run. Yeah. Um, no one can step in the same river twice. Like exactly. So, gallons yeah. Was, yeah. so in a, in a river of any size, like you blink and 500 gallons has passed by and that's, so that's five, you know, there you go. You've cleaned it. Right. Like, is that good? I guess better than not cleaning it, but how much of an impact is it actually having? And the point that he made and that others in this field make is that it, that's where like the, those details are where the sleight of hand really comes into play because it sounds really good, but is it actually furthering the goal of like clean river water for all, or is it just kind of like paying lip service to it? And You know, those NGOs, those, you know, uh, uh, activist organizations, they need that big check from cores um, to continue doing their work. So it's kind of like a, you know, you don't get to pick who, you know, who you take money from um, and they have to kind of play ball. Um, but it's not necessarily really accomplishing like their overall goal or it's not getting them a whole lot closer. It's kind of just spinning in place. So I say all that to say this. BrewDog's going green initiative may be good faith. Uh, they may actually care about it. They may really believe what they're saying and, and you know, intend to do it. Um, 
And I hope that's true. I mean, we need more corporations that are uh, actually trying to do it. I mean, the IPCC yeah. report just came out uh, earlier this week and uh, confirmed what we all already know, which is like climate change yeah. is here. It's real and we're extremely fucked. Um, but the you you need to be skeptical. And so much of this stuff goes unreported just because it's not scrutinized. So right. that's my long way of saying maybe, maybe not. I I'm default. I come from a, a position of skepticism on any claims like that from any corporation. Right. Agreed. I think we all do. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to take this quick second to break into beer one, just so that okay. that happened. Um, John, are you drinking? I am drinking. All right. So what brings us together in Silas beer is a kind of conversation about beer, what it is, not what we wanted it to be, what it tastes like, not what we were told it would taste like. And how the experience is, not how the rating is. To facilitate that, John and I drink blind out of opaque glasses. Kennedy packages the beer up, sends it around America, and has about a 66% hit ratio. Um, in this case, John and I are both drinking a 12-ounce can of beer obfuscated in aluminum foil, um, which I have poured into a black wine glass. I have... I have interesting and pretty sweetness that ends up on a almost for some reason charcoals coming to mind it's as Charcoal. if the flavor it's as if the flavor filters at the end okay. like it's it's sweetie it's sweet and it's pretty which i guess i'll call sweetie. sweetie um it's sweet and it's pretty not sweet like sugary sweet but definitely on the sweeter side of like let's say like honey sweetness to it yeah um but it ends up very clean, dry, and out of there. Not a lot of yeast phenolic that I'm getting. Um, no. But yeah, it feels like it, it feels like it's. But it feels, I don't know. It feels European to me. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I'll agree with you on on just about all of that. Um, it, it's a really just a nice, clean refreshing beer and i i want to say the word crisp but that's not there you know because of the all, sweetness yeah it's so it has all those other attributes where i like where i want to say like oh but it has that like nice crisp snap at the end but like it's it, it is replaced with that honey like sweetness yeah where you're saying charcoal i get a slight herbal thing like almost like a little like vague peppermint or something um herbal but more earthy herbal than big floral in your face kind of thing. But this is just one of those nice beers to just, yeah. I, I feel like if I had a six pack of this, um, I would do some real damage on it really quick. Yeah. And, that's, that's the yeah. problem. Today was one of those days where I was like, all right, I'll yeah, do it's this. A, show and I'll, it's a hundred degrees uh, outside. And this yeah, is a hundred degrees outside and the brewery's in full free fall. So I need to get back there and do work. And I said, all right, I'll take a break, do the show, drink enough to, quantify the experience and move on and the minute i tasted this beer i was like oh that beer really wants to keep being drunk today the, the boss but, um, is calling out to sick yeah right to, qual to qualify the charcoal statement i wasn't saying as much that i tasted it it's it's as if there's a charcoal filter built in or like you ever do one of those like over through the pitcher brita things where you have the chlorine on the top and then not in the bottom it's as if that sweet floral thing just gets filtered out while it's on your tongue. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, oh, there it is. Oh, where'd it go? And I understand why your brain wants to make that crisp, but there is none of that crispness yeah. to it. It's just, hey, where'd it go? Which I think registers as kind of crisp. You know what I mean? Yeah. All right, oh, cool. Normally um, we would say, hey, Justin, what is this? But Justin's not here. Yeah, so why don't you unwrap it and I'll try to unwrap it. Justin gave me another one of those grenade ones where the foil goes around the bottom back up the sides and it looks like it's being eaten by an aluminum sea monster. Allagash now and day blonde ale. All right. Being the younger uh, guy, you have to read whatever it says under this now. This refined Belgian style blonde ale is brewed like a lager. The result is crisp and dry. Ah. See, uh, and even a balance of flavor, uh, an even balance of flavor and refreshment, a beer for any day, uh, 5.5% ABV. Uh, if we ever and they're certified B Corp the on their on their can. So they're they're Which they're putting means their they're they're putting their their green step forward, right? That's yeah. what B Corp means. Yeah. All right, but um, so I know for some reason, clearly, whenever Justin did his Allagash article, he got some shares of their equity for punks. <laughs> 
because Jesus, does he send us a lot of Allagash. Yeah. But what I suspect is going on here is it's a little candy sugar in the grist a la Belgium. Yeah. And a long ferment, a long cold ferment, which they say. So that might be what we're smelling, but is disappearing. You know what I mean? Yeah. A couple right, more so uh, Allagash back. beers and Justin's going to start getting free kayak lessons from Rob. Yeah, I, f- I feel like we uh, were at least out a calendar or something. You know what I mean? Like maybe some Allagash post-its for my All desk right. at work. Let's get back. Anyway, let's, get back. Let's, get back let's get back to, back to Dave. Uh, let's get off of their equity for punks and back on a brew dog's equity for punks. So Dave, I want to ask another question and the answer again can be yes, no, or I don't know, but some of this timing seems to strike me as correlated to Brexit. Um, did they lose their ability to sell as easily to Europe around 17? And that's why America became attractive? Or is it just that America loosened its rules for educated investors and therefore we became a great pool to come to? Uh, I think it's probably uh, the latter. You know, I think Brexit okay. certainly impacted their business but i i don't get the sense that this was like a panic move i think this was preordained prior to like that decision i don't think that they came to the u.s said the minute we said these guys were allowed to fund in this manner they were like aha there's 330 Ah. new million suckers (laughs) well i mean to be fair like it they they like i think the jobs act like became law in 2012 or so so it wasn't immediate but that's what that's what cleared the way for them um in 2016 by the way, Dave, I love having another proper journalist on the show because when Augie says stuff like that, the pauses that you have, I just feel in myself. <laughs> like, don't don't walk into that. Don't walk into his 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 accusations. It would be nice that if it was that tidy. Accusation. That was an accusation. I'm telling you, it's I'm, I think there's an angle he should research here. Brexit happened. They came to America. They could have come five years before they did. Okay. Anyway, um, I don't know. I'm just I'm just asking questions yeah, because that's we have my to role know before here, we can. Yeah. All right. Fine. Anyway, so let's get back to it. So so has so here's the other thing we were talking about that we were uh, we were getting to in the last effort was since you wrote this article very fucking recently, Sam Adams has had their market share drop one and a quarter billion, although I think this hard mountain do might put it right back on track. Um <laughs> And so some market corrections have happened. And I'm wondering that even in the two weeks since we last recorded, has anything, you know, with this summer's market and the roaring 20s not happening and everybody over forecasting their values in spring, has this summer changed any part of your article that you finished just weeks ago? You know what I mean? Like things are moving so fast in this space. Is there anything that's caught you up since then? You know, I, we, we talked about the same thing a little bit. And mm-hmm. as a point of uh, order, their like joint partnership with Pepsi to do Hard Mountain Dew uh, coincided with like a tumble in their stock price further. So it does not it does not seem that investors. Uh, I am are- telling you, it's seltzer is dead and Hard Mountain Dew is the new year father's root beer. Um, the reactions I'm seeing to that news on our social media is unbelievable like i can't believe how many like you i would automatically just maybe like that's stupid but everybody loves the idea so we'll yeah. see i mean look <laughs> like all i'm all i'm pointing out is that it did not yeah. buoy yeah. sam's stock price uh, right. bbc stock price in the way that uh maybe they were hoping for um but yeah i mean i agree i wrote a piece not so long ago i think the headline was like the energy drink to hard seltzer pipeline like everything is hard seltzer now so you've if you have a strong brand uh and like built-in audience uh why wouldn't you make a fmb product out of it right like that's, right. that seems to be the fm and i think kate bernard over at good beer hunting had like uh a pretty good take also she mentioned that like this is a distribution play for pepsi and like an opportunity for them to play in that space with alcohol um in a way that they've never done in the past so there's strategic implications to that but whatever uh the point i made in my story about Brewdog was if you try to pull comps for this business, which is what, uh, you know, institutional investors tend to do when they're, when they're trying to value out, uh, whether the company is worth what the company claims to be worth. Um, it's hard to find a business exactly like Brewdog, right? They're a big multinational craft beer brand. They have these pubs. 
Um, they have these subsidiaries. They, they have access to this capital market that very few other breweries have um, in the Equity for Punks program. Um, but if you try to look at sort of their ambition, you know, so I, I say that because it's imperfect, right? This is not an apples to apples comparison. I mean, you never get an apples to apples comparison in this situation. But if you try to look at other uh, diversified, you know, large craft brewers, uh, if you want to call them craft, like Boston Beer Company is a pretty good comp, right? It's more mature, but they have um, they have a diversified portfolio. They have um, you know, a big footprint and they have a very strong, um, you know, claim to the U S like craft beer, uh, whatever ecosystem, if you want to call it that, um, or at least an awareness for it and great distribution. So the reason I brought up Boston beer company in the piece was as a comp, right? Not a perfect right. comparison, but, but something to kind of look at. And at the time, Boston beer company was trading at a massive premium. Thanks to the runaway success of truly hard seltzer in the week since that article was published, they came out and revised their projections. Uh, their stock price took a beating. Some of the analysts uh, kind of raked the executives over the coals uh, on their, on their earnings calls or on their earnings call. But, if anything, I think that only affirms the point that I was trying to make in the piece, which is that even when it was trading uh, at a very frothy multiple, which is uh, I'm, I've learned is a term that uh, private equity folks like to use and, and invest in financial types like to use, uh, you know, very hyped up uh, uh, multiple hyped up valuation, um, even at its height, Boston Beer Company was not trading anywhere near the multiples that uh, Brewdog PLC and Brewdog USA uh, would, you know, be valued at if their if their enterprise value is as they claim. So, and and immediately, you know, a couple of weeks after the piece gets published, Sam's Boston Beer Company's uh, uh, valuation, you know, and those metrics sort of come back down to earth. They they get a little bit more grounded, right? Those get reined in even further. So the point is that those were probably as high as they were going to go. Um, and they were probably too high um, because everyone was very excited about truly and the innovation pipeline that they've developed with that. And even like with that runaway, like sort of frenzied success of Boston beer company stock price, they were nowhere near as, you know, inflated as brew dogs valuation metrics. So I think that point holds. Um, and I think it's even worse when you look at, uh, Brewdog USA. Um, and that's kind of where I feel like we left off last time around was, you know, do the punks make it out with their money if Brewdog PLC IPOs and for whatever reason, um, you know, people are fucking stoked on the stock. Everyone's really excited about their growth and they, they command a price at the IPO that, um, you know, reflects that premium um, and that excitement. Maybe, maybe those, maybe those punks, you know, went out and TSG, the private equity firm that bought in in 2017, their coupon, uh, you know, comes due, but because of the size of the valuation um, at the IPO, the punks stay whole, right? They don't get diluted. Um, but it's, it's not really the case for the American investors at all, because if you buy into BrewDog USA, you're buying shares in the U.S. subsidiary. Um, and there is, as it stands right now, uh, that I was able to find in the documentation, no conversion mechanism for U.S. shares to PLC shares. In other words, if you buy into BrewDog USA and BrewDog PLC goes public, like that affects you not at all. Right. So you're fucked, basically. You're still just yeah. holding shares that are in a in a company that's wholly owned by another company. The fact that that latter company is public doesn't really mean anything. Interesting. And and we were talking about that, but so I, I see the I know the language you're using, and I get it. And I get that, the, like you said, it's very hard to put your thumb on this. But when you say words like if this happens and this happens and this happens you seem to be suggesting there's a possibility because there is a possibility but you seem to be 
not hitting the nail of there's no possibility. You do you know what I mean? Like like it's like it's like any situation. A lot of words. You can't yeah. say it absolutely what? won't happen. <laughs> yeah, I think what you I mean did. is yeah. What I mean is re rack. Like, no, 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 no. It's it's like it's like a discussion of maybe vaccines do this. Well, you can't prove a negative. You can't say this absolutely won't happen. You know, what I mean? but you need to look at statistically the likelihood of said occurrence happening. And the thing is, I think if you're honest, the things that need to happen for anybody that bought equity for punks at any point to profit while this class C preferred stock exists won't actually happen. You know what I mean? Like anybody who did a statistical analysis of the statistics involved in people getting money out of this at any level, as long as those class B, the class C shares exist is so statistically insignificant that we can say it won't happen. I understand as a journalist reading, you have to say this could happen because anything can happen with enough options, you know, with enough tries but it's not going to happen is what i'm saying so therefore if the hope of american investors investors he says in quotes um seeing any any profit steps to the european round of investors seeing significant profit i think we can say it won't happen is what i'm saying does that not make sense i think yeah we're kind of on the same page here right. let, me, let me try to like Parse, parse what you're saying. UK investors in the PLC, they have a shot at making money. I'm not, I can't come along with you on saying that they're definitely not going to make money. Some of them might. Um, I do think that that they have like a, a shot. I can't handicap what the percentage is, but right. you know, like there, there are some companies go public with massive valuations that, for whatever reason, the timing was right. The appetite was right for it. Who knows? Like that could happen. And the sources that I talked to, they were, are willing to stipulate on that point, right? What they, one place that Augie, you and I, I think agree more directly or more completely is that eh, American investors, American punks, it's hard to see how they make money here. Um, And again, that's because in a liquidity event, for the PLC, first of all, the American stockholder has no skin in the game there. So they, there's nothing that happens for you, right? Oh, BrewDog PLC goes public. Great. Like, let me cash in my shares. Oh, wait, I don't have shares in that company. Um, and the other thing, and this is, you know, the relationship between the PLC and the U.S. subsidiary is one that is set up to kind of basically use uh like the the punks as a you know source of cash to fund right. that growth um while the plc maintains complete control over the u.s subsidiary and so what i mean by that is like the u.s subsidiary is in debt to the plc to the tune of like uh, about 40 million dollars i forget what the exact uh amount is and that more or less equals like the amount of assets that they hold um and that the, the the U.S. subsidiary is completely owned by the PLC. So, um, you know, in the worst case scenario, uh, if they try to fund this expansion, right, they're trying to go to Vegas, they're trying to move into the Southeast, they're trying to expand their distribution outside of the Midwest. Um, if none of that comes to fruition or if it fails uh, because they, you know, can't make it work or customers don't want it or whatever, um, there's a situation in which BrewDog PLC decides to bankrupt the company, the U.S. subsidiary, uh, take control of its assets, wipe out all of the equity, the the punks, um, and then just continue operating the company, but having taken all of that cash from those shareholders, right? That's right. Com- It's completely possible. So there's no it's not a good place to park your money if you're hoping for a return. And if you're hoping for control in a business um, or, you know, like the ability to influence the outcome of a business like that. So, That's so what we're true. saying is, so what we're saying to put a pin in that, cause I think, I think you've just said it exactly. What we're saying is if you're calling it equity and you believe you're buying a share, 
the reason you buy equity in a company is to have some ownership in the case of profitability and some say in the way things go, depending on how much you own. That's what equity in a company is. And these U.S. shares have neither of those things in any potential situation as far as any sane investor would go. So why call it that? Um, I want to, if you're okay with us putting a pin in there, what we've just gotten into is the part that I'm, and again, we're running out of time and I'm trying to not yeah. do that to us again. Um, what I want to talk to now is the basic moves of um, M&A and arbitrage that you were just touching on, which are very late move corporate raider, you know, fucking 90s investment movies jokes kind of approach that seems to be what this American subsidiary really is. And I'm going to need you to hypothesize with me, but we, we touched on it last time. The part of your article I found most interesting was one of the two you know, brew puppies owns, has been socking away real estate separate from everything in which these American investors and the American subsidiary pays him rent and he owns it all outside the company. So if everything goes wrong, he's still got an, a catalog of assets in the form of American real estate that makes him comfortably rich for quite some time, even if his company that he's the largest shareholder in goes completely belly up. Um, and I'm wondering why these, this, uh, you know, this, this funding group have allowed that. And I'm wondering more and more as this stuff, as this kind of shell company U S thing has been set up for a potential bankruptcy situation. Um, you know, all that, but first we got to talk about beer too. And the good news is I really don't want to talk about beer too. Oh no, me neither. So this is, uh, this, this is like Saturday morning is, breakfast cereal. See, I think it's all right. So two things, it feels to me like it's, you know, that what can we fry at the County fair race for <laughs> smooge? It's like, uh -huh. Oh, you're frying Oreos. Well, I'm frying Snickers. Oh, you're frying Snickers. Well, I'm frying butter. Blah, 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 fucking blah. But the truth is if I was told to make a beverage that tastes like this, I wouldn't do it in a brewery. I would do it at a health food store. I would take all of their red and blue fruits, put it in a blender with some vanilla protein powder, yep. 50 handfuls of vitamin C tablets so that it got that little bit of Berliner acidity that I'm tasting. Would you and say then, heaping handfuls? Yeah, it would, okay. need, it would need a good scoop of the vanilla protein to make that kind of milk sugar bullshit flavor. It would need about 50 fucking handfuls of vitamin C, you know, like children's vitamin C pills to give it that acidity. And then all the raspberries, blueberries, blackberries, whatever you fucking have. Yeah. And then as far as I can tell, you know, maybe Skittles or Starburst went in there too. Like there's some, there's some, Boy, sugary, you're really selling this for Dave. some sugary confection there, but it's, I, none of this, none of this flavor creation. If you said to me, Augie, make me something that tastes like this. I'd be like, no problem. And that'll be fun. But it, no part of it would be beer brewing. Okay. All of it would be, you know, I, I what's, know. what's a fancy blender called? Uh, Paco or whatever. Vitamix. This would be a Vitamix exercise, not a brew house okay. exercise. Um, no, it's, Do you want to reveal what it is? Uh, sure. It's, yeah, this is Saturday morning breakfast cereal to me. This is. <laughs> is it really? Did, wait, no, did no, no. Uh, holy crow. <laughs> so this is called watermelon. Watercolors, watermelon number no five. Watermelon hang on, hang on a second. Hang on a second. Sky Gazer on, Brewing Company. Watercolors is the name of the beer. Synergy number five, cotton candy, Berliner wow. style vice beer with blackberry, blueberry, raspberry, marshmallow, milk sugar, blue raspberry flavor, and artificial cotton candy flavor. Wait, blue oh, is, they, wait, 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 wait. They put all those fruits in and fucking syrup from the snow cone machine. Yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, brewed and packaged by. If you're using artificial flavors, North why use fruit? Haven for Sky Gazer Brewing, which I don't know where Sky Gazer Brewing is. There's not much else on here. Do I have a clear? 
Oh, hi, Cass is here. Oh, yeah. man, this Cass, is this one of your beers? Do you like this shit? Are you, are you putting tequila floaters in this? Um, no, uh, I know the Jefferson folks very well. Uh, what? You sound like shit, dude, and you're Cass our is, sound guy. Cass so is on the boat right now. Cass is selling his boat, and he's getting a few more rides in before uh, the trailer comes to pick it up. Um, the same pit set I'm always on. All right. What? So, all right. Let's get back to Dave. This is so Dave, you know what I'm saying? Ridiculous. Like, obviously. Let's talk like, about some motherfucking real estate, right? Let's talk about this other shit that's going on as part of this, which seems to say some very good financial advisor has said to these two guys, sure, you're hundred millionaires now, but you need to diversify your fucking holdings and you can make this business pay for that. Yeah, I think that's probably maybe that conversation happens at some point. I think uh, one point that I want to make about this is like all of these real estate deals that we're about to discuss are disclosed in the prospectuses, right? Like we know that they exist because the company actually discloses them to potential shareholders. Um, the uh, the British magazine uh, Private Eye. Um, in February 2020, uh, publishes this story called Crafty Brewers, um, and it's focusing on uh, the the real estate holdings of uh, of James Watt, uh, one of the co-founders of BrewDog. And in it, they lay out um, how Watt, through various LLCs, um, purchases basically it's a little bit complicated, but what ends up happening is the company often will buy uh, a property. will make improvements to it. will sell it with no uh, like gain or loss on the books to an LLC that Watt owns. And then that LLC will rent that property back to the company for uh, the terms of a lease. Right. So I, uh, he, for example, like there are four pubs in the UK um, that one of his, LLCs uh, rents to uh, to the PLC for about 150,000 uh, pounds per year. Um, and they've been renting those since 2014. Um, that's, he does this through, a, you know, there's JBW 77, there's Musa 77 LTD, there's 10 ton mouse LLC. He has a bunch of these LLCs that he does this through. Um, and we know that he does this because, like I said, they're disclosed in the prospectuses. He, they've also been doing this uh, in the U.S. here. Um, you know, so the example that I highlighted in the story, um, and I had actually turned some of this up in the disclosures uh, with one of my sources, and then we stumbled across the private eye story, like retroactively, and we're like, oh shit, like they were on the right, we were on the right track. They found this too. Um, the example I highlighted here in the U.S. is this LLC called Ten Ton Mouse um, is wholly owned by Watt. Um, that's kind of hilarious. Keep going, but that's kind of fucking hilarious that the place you're hiding your money is called Ten Ton Mouse. Well, I mean, yeah, totally. This is like one of those <laughs> things where you can like you can name the LLC anything. So there's another one called Jetpack Pie uh, LLC. <laughs> like you know, like this is typical rich guy shit, right? Like, oh, this is clever. Like, um, and whatever. I I don't give a shit about that, but um. You know, Ten Ton Mouse wholly owns this LLC called Brewdog Franklinton, which then leases bar space to Brewdog USA um, in Columbus, Ohio. So the company, the subsidiary, buys this real estate um, in December. Uh, no, sorry, uh, in early 2017 for about four hundred seventy-five thousand dollars. Then, like nine months later, they sell it to. Watts LLCs for about $657,000. Um, again, no gain or loss recorded for tax purposes. And they now pay him about uh, $12,500 per month in rent under a five-year uh, $150,000 $150, per year lease. Um, and so the point I was making is like, it's basically just a transfer it looks to be just a transfer of value from the company, which has shareholders to Watt himself through these LLCs at the tune to the tune of like 23% uh, annualized return for, for him, which is a fucking amazing return, right? That's a guaranteed yeah. return in, under the terms of the lease. 
Um, you know, they Brewdog gets confronted about this by the Financial Times, which had an article in it really uh, or in late June, I guess, like right before I published my big piece. Um, they kind of highlighted some of the sentiment of, of shareholders who were frustrated with Brewdog and also pointed out some of these real estate deals. Brewdog wouldn't answer my questions about it. They told Brewdog wouldn't answer any of my questions for this story. They they refused to make anyone available for an interview. They refused to answer 20 detailed questions that I sent them via an email. But the Financial Times also asked them about this and they declined to answer directly, uh, claiming that it's just tangential, right? Those are those are tangential. You that's not important, basically. Which I, you know, your mileage may vary, but I I'm I'm suspicious of that response. But oh, yeah. You know, a less charitable analysis uh, is not that it's tangential, but actually that it's, like I said, just a transfer of value. Um, again, not illegal, uh, but the sort of thing that um, if you're on the up and up, uh, you might not, uh, you know, you shouldn't be doing right. And Private Eye kind of made the same point. It's like the question is not whether these deals are appropriate for a company with 100,000 other shareholders. Um, by the way, that's uh, uh, 200,000 these days. But um you know, it's not illegal or improper, but is it is it appropriate, basically? And I would I would venture to say it is not. But so so I guess that goes to the question I should have hit a little harder. And I think buried in this has been this conversation of they owe us some kind of validity because of how they chose to frame this. Go back to the original discussion you and I had at the end of the last show as we come to the end of this show is had they framed it as a GoFundMe, you give us 60 bucks, we give you this fictitious, ha ha ha, I'm an investor piece of paper, you get a t-shirt, we're friends, discounts at the hotel. There's nothing shady about it. When you claim that they own a percentage of the company and call it an equity issuance and do some of the things required in that, you, you have a fiduciary responsibility to shareholders that's different than to GoFundMe participants. And one of them is profitability of the company is allocated according to a, a charter. And this really is, this is the move of a, of a president of a REIT, not a president of an equity corporation. Sorry to talk parlance, but this is moving money to one guy in particular for some reason. And we don't need to speculate on what it is. My question is the guys that were savvy enough to come in with a large enough investment to basically get the world's greatest bond. I mean, it's the best bond issuance I've seen in the last five years as 18%. it's described. Thing. Yeah. 18% <laughs> rolling with primacy for a small amount by your valuation. Why did why are they letting this happen? Is I guess my question. You know what I mean? Because because they should be like, wait a fucking second, that's our money. And if James does this enough, when they come looking for that 18%, this will be sheltered from that claim. It's a great question. And you know, just for listeners who are having trouble following this, we're talking about TSG consumer partners, right? Like the guys who bought in in 2017 um, for 213 million pounds. Um, these guys are pros. They manage about $10 billion worth of assets. Um, you know, these are not rubes, right? They're, they're about yeah, the savvy. Yeah, that's what I'm they're, saying. They're about the savviest super in the game. fucking savvy if they got 18% coupon on this right. money. That is fucking genius. So I I'll would say- loan that money. I'll say that, you know, obviously, obviously, I don't know their their internal thinking. TSG declined to comment with me for the story. But um, one of my sources, uh, you know, who has about 20 years of experience uh, in the global beverage industry doing private equity deals like this um, was astonished to hear uh, not only that the real estate deals, um, you know, were still in place and still in play, but even just that BrewDog was still doing equity for punks crowdfunding equity raise uh, raises more generally. He he could not believe it. Um, you know, was astonished that TSG was still allowing that stuff to go on. And you know, who knows? Maybe they think it's no harm, no foul. This thing's been, you know, a, a reliable uh, engine to to raise money uh, for 11 years now. Let's let them keep going. Um, maybe they haven't really scrutinized that aspect of the business to the extent that 
you know, like they maybe should have. I mean, that's hard to believe. Um, I will say that, like, you know, as Brood, as this story went to publication, Brewdog finds itself embroiled in uh, yet another controversy, this time uh, via an open letter from its workers uh, and former workers who um, accuse Watt, uh, in particular, and the company in general, of creating a rotten, toxic culture. Uh, you know, where growth uh, is is valued above all else and it's not a good place to work and uh, the whole thing is kind of a house of cards and this picks up a ton of steam. This was uh, known as the punks with a purpose uh, open yeah. letter and that made some waves. In the, in the aftermath of that, um, Brewdog PLC puts a TSG managing director uh, on their board as chairman, chairwoman of their board um, for the first time. So it's possible that this is kind of an adults in the room situation where it's like, we need to take a little bit of a closer approach to protect our investment. You know, the Watt and Dickey show uh, just has too much liability here and is a little too chaotic, um, you know, or that's not the case. I mean, I, one of my sources was like, they don't give a sh you know TSG doesn't give a shit about workers being upset former workers being upset right up until the point where it harms the path to you know the IPO in which case they'll turn on Watt immediately right like so it may be a situation and I'm totally speculating here but it may be a situation where it's like let's wait and see how it plays out like we feel like good enough about where we're at, but at any point, if stuff gets too out of hand, like, you know, they're ready to drop the hammer. That's, yeah. that's possible. So it's, it's funny. You, the only place I promised myself I'd lead this in this hour was to that exact thing you just said. So thank you for bringing it up and, you know, presenting it as a thought that needs consideration. You've done it again, Dave, we're out of another hour and this is supposed to be a 40 minute show. Um, I appreciate your time and thinking on all this. We clearly should spend more time with you going forward because this is just one of your fucking articles. And I like, I like the light and the conversation you're bringing to this. So we're going to have to put a pin in this because again, we've gone over. I don't think my instinct is we don't schedule a part three of the brew dog thing, because I think, I think we've said enough. I think your article is out there for all the thieves to read at home. I'm going to ask you to do me a favor though. If you do follow up on this, or you see other pieces come up on the back of your article and work that you think are interesting, please share it with us so we can share it with the thieves on the Facebook page and they can stay ahead of it. Cause this is fucking interesting. And I feel like we could burn, you know, 26 of our next year's 52 shows digging and, and hypothesizing. But, but I think we've put the, the important and good information out here, especially now that we've touched on that punks with a purpose part that everybody should also follow up on. I've got no problem with this becoming a regular discussion on our Facebook page or if people are interested. And we do have the, the first page there where people have been commenting. So we can definitely come back to that. Um, but for now, I have to end this again, kind yeah. of in the middle of shit. And I hate doing that. But I want to say thank you. We will get you back on off the brew dog topic to actually talk about all these other articles you have. I need you to push. You said in the middle of all this, that on your newsletter, you were talking about the same yeah. thing. Make sure that's there. So people know where to go to follow these topics. Cause at least three of our six listeners love that stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, it's, but it's all that fingers. Substack.com. And Hey Cass, we need you to do the where money goes guys. I've got to jump off. Cause I'm actually late for a thing. I will jump onto the next episode. <laughs> Start without me. And I'll oh, be we, right there. Okay. Appreciate well, it, everybody, and thank you. Oh, so Patreons, thank you. We will not spend your money on Brewdog. We are much smarter <laughs> than that. But thank you for those that do donate to us. Patreon.com slash Steelers Beer. That stuff does go a long way. Um, I don't even know what happened this episode. They even get beers. That helps get people beers for the show. Follow us on all the social medias. It helps, at it helps for beer. expedited shipping. You know, uh, follow us on Untapped. See what we're drinking. I uh, don't know what the hell you guys drank today, but you know that's that. Okay. Um, yeah, we just uh, appreciate all of you. And Cass uh, is here with the value add. Yeah, totally. Um, so totally sober this afternoon. But, uh, but here, I'm about here, to go sink sink some points here. And get on a level. Here, here's the thing, uh, Dave. Thanks for doing this. But seriously, fingers.substack.com is where you can subscribe to Dave's newsletter. 
and you really, really should. It's an excellent read. Every time it comes out, I look forward to seeing it in my email box and uh, I delete most of the stuff that comes my way. So um, when something comes through, that's exciting. It's, it's, it, it's worth it. And, and Dave, you're one of the best. Thanks for, thanks for taking the time. Thanks yeah. so much. Thanks for coming back, Dave. We'll have you on soon. Take care. All right. Guys. Get Here's at us. Later.